Welcome to Israel. This is the land of Jesus Christ. This is where he lived, died, and rose again. And when I came to Israel, I was so moved by following the footsteps of Jesus. I wanted to share it with so many people back home in America. And so we came to Israel to make a movie of the words of Jesus that he preached to his hometown crowd at Nazareth. Oh, I was so excited to preach the word of God on that hilltop outside that city. And when we listened to the audio, it was a total fail. You couldn't even understand the words that I was saying. There was feedback and loud noises. And I felt like I missed something that God wanted me to do in my life, to share the words of Jesus with the world. And so we're back here in Israel. And we've made 200 videos this year with scripture of the day. And so I'm bringing the crew. I'm bringing my brother, Bill Blakey. I'm bringing the boom operator, sound man extraordinaire, Brad Smith. Scott Shue and I are back and we're going to Nazareth. Well, Lord willing, we will share with you the words of Jesus. What I found when I came to Israel is that what Jesus says and what people think he says are two different things. And it was here that I really heard the word that Jesus says to us. So the question we want to answer is why would his hometown crowd in Nazareth want to throw him off of a cliff? This is the rejection of Jesus. So the truth is, I never wanted to come to Israel. I was talked into it because I was basically given the idea that if you're a pastor, you need to go to Israel. Now, I don't really like traveling. I like being at home. Uh, and so I came because I was basically told I should go. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to be. But when I got to this spot that we're at right now, this little hill outside of Nazareth, and we read Luke 4. That's when I realized, no, I needed to come to Israel. In fact, I should start bringing everybody to Israel. And if I can't bring them here, I should bring Israel to them. And so I need everybody to open up your Bible with me to Luke 4. And if you got one of our Bibles, Luke 4 is on page 859. And this is a story that happens here in this town of Nazareth, which was a very small town that Jesus grew up in. And you think, well, why would you need to go to the, to the hometown of Jesus where he grew up? Is it, why would you need to be there? Well, look what happens in Luke 4, starting in verse 16. And this is a story that Luke puts up front in his gospel at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Other gospels, Matthew, Mark, they talk about how Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. A prophet doesn't have a lot of honor in his hometown. And he didn't do a lot of miracles there because they didn't believe in him. But Luke, he gives us this detailed account of what happened one day when Jesus went to the synagogue in Nazareth. This is Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. 
Okay, so the, the Jews, and you're going to see a lot of Jews, you're going to see Jews, Orthodox Jews, still trying to live out the Old Testament here in Israel. And on the Sabbath is Saturday, the seventh day of the week, because God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested, right? And that goes all the way back to the Ten Commandments, right? On the seventh day, you should rest. They're still enforcing that. Did you notice the Sabbath elevator in the hotel where it just goes up and down because no one can even push the button on the elevator? So you're going you're gonna to see that where this, it, the elevator just keeps going because you can't even do the work of pushing the button on the elevator. So on the Sabbath, the thing that they could do is they'd go to the synagogue where they would talk about the, the Old Testament. Someone would read the Old Testament and maybe explain it. And we're going to see synagogues. We're gonna, there's one here in Nazareth we can see the ruins of. We'll go to Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. They're the three major cities by the Sea of Galilee. There's ruins of synagogues there. Just a place where they could gather together and do some Saturday school, reading the Old Testament. Now look what happens. Jesus, he apparently went to a lot of synagogues, did a lot of reading, a lot of explaining, and started to get a reputation and it says in verse 17 the scroll of the prophet isaiah was given to him he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written okay so they hand jesus the scroll of isaiah so it seems like that's selected for him but then out of the entire book of isaiah he picks a passage that he wants to read now if you've ever read isaiah before does anybody know how long it is 66 chapters, okay? So it's like a mini Bible. It's a very long book, the, the longest prophetic work of the Old Testament. So he could pick anywhere in these 66 books. Now, it's fascinating that he gets the scroll of Isaiah because today the scroll of Isaiah is now famous here in Israel. Uh, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Qumran Caves, Specifically, they found the Isaiah scroll, which was an intact ancient manuscript of the Hebrew Old Testament of the book of Isaiah. Okay, and so we're going to go see in a museum where they have this special glass case where you can't take pictures of this Isaiah scroll. And the one you can't take pictures of is a copy of the real one that they keep locked up somewhere that's too good for you to even look at. Okay, that's how precious the Isaiah scroll is to them. So Jesus gets a scroll of Isaiah, he opens it up, and this is what he decides to read in his hometown synagogue. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's Isaiah 61. And he opens up, out of all the 66 chapters he could have turned to, he opens up to that, and he reads that, and then, look at verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing okay so let's let's recreate the moment he gets handed the scroll he decides the passage he reads it rolls back up the scroll everybody's looking at him like why did he pick that passage what is he going to say and then the thing that he says is today this scripture was fulfilled 
in your hearing. Wow. And, and you can see their response right here. Verse 22, all spoke well of him. Oh, wow. Look at this guy. Wow, that's impressive. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Like, wait, don't we know this guy? Didn't he grow up right here? Isn't this the son of Joseph? And some people think that means they were saying something bad about him. But uh, that's just how you were known back in the day. You're, the son, you're so-and-so the son of Joseph, right? And so they're like, wait a minute, we know this guy, but look at him now. He's speaking in such gracious words. They're marveling at him. So let's think through what just happened there. Okay, he read that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then all these other descriptions, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, Liberty to those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, now what he's saying, and, and then he says today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, just, just think about that. Isaiah was a prophet six or seven hundred years before the time of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that this scripture that Isaiah wrote, I just read to you and you just heard it fulfilled. That means he's claiming that he's the one who the Spirit of the Lord is upon. He's the one who's been anointed by God. Okay, now if you're, if you're, let's get in the mindset of the Jews. Someone is claiming to be the anointed one. Who is that person claiming to be right in front of you? The Messiah. The holy and anointed one prophesied long ago by God. Okay, now I don't care what kind of good sermons you've heard at church. I don't care who you heard preach. You've never heard anybody read a scripture and then drop the bomb right there. Yeah, that scripture, that's about me and it's about you. And it just happened right now. That's a drop the mic moment and walk off, everybody, right? I'm the one that the Spirit is upon. I'm the anointed one. So if you're taking notes, let's get this down for point number one. Jesus is the anointed one. This is why we need to come to Israel. Okay, I'm not going to Beverly Hills to study the houses of celebrities. You know, I'm not going to see the Elvis Museum, right? Uh, I'm not traveling around the world to see anybody else, but there is one that is worth going to his hometown and starting to really try to investigate who he is. The one who can read scripture and claim it's about him. The anointed one of God. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three different offices where they got anointed. One was the prophet in Deuteronomy 18. Then you've got the priest. He got anointed, the one who was going to be bring the sacrifices between the people and God. And then you had the kings who got anointed because they were going to be the leader of God's people. Prophets, priests, and kings. Did we have some kings who were prophets? Yes, we did. Did we have some prophets who were also priests? Yes. But did we ever have anyone in the history of Israel who was prophet, priest, and king? No, that was the anointed one who Jesus just said, he is the anointed one. Okay, now if you can, turn over to Matthew chapter 11 with me. And, and I want you to just see this same idea is in Matthew 11 verse 5, where John the Baptist has been put into jail. And John the Baptist sends his disciples to go find out, wait, are, Jesus, are you really the Christ? Can I be sure? 
John the Baptist needs a moment of clarity as he's in prison, so he sends his disciples. This is Matthew 11, page 816, if you got one of our books. Matthew 11, so that when John's in prison and he heard about the Christ, he sends his disciples, are you the one? Okay, clearly he's referring to, are you the anointed one? Should we look to you or should we look to someone else? Matthew 11:4. Jesus answered them to John's disciples. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So here's what Jesus is now clearly saying. He picked that passage to read in his hometown. Now he's given a very similar description to John the Baptist. Hey, I now let me prove to you that I'm the one. Are the poor hearing the good news? Are the lame walking? Are the blind seeing? Are the prisoners getting set free? Then you know it's me. Blessed is everyone who's not offended by the fact that I'm the one. Blessed basically is everyone who can handle me, is what Jesus is saying. Who can acknowledge me, who can deal with who I really am. So he gave this reading in his hometown and now he gives a similar answer to John the Baptist. Hey, I'm the one who's out there and, and let's go back now to Luke 4 and let's look at those different groups of people that he says he's here for. Okay, because this is really what it's going to come down to, to the people of Nazareth. He says, good news for the poor, liberty for the captives, sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. So Jesus is the anointed one. He's coming from God to save. But if you're going to be one of the people that he's coming for, well, that means you're poor, you're a prisoner, you're blind, and you're oppressed. That's who he's coming for. Now, does that sound like a compliment when he's coming for you? Well, I'll come to you if you're poor. I'm coming for you. Uh, I want to set you free if you're in prison. If you're oppressed, if you're under the, the power of Satan and under the slavery of sin, I want to set you free from that. If you can't see, not just physically, I think he's talking about not being able to see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Well, I want to open your eyes to see it. And then he says here, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The, the year of the Lord's favor is the year of Jubilee. You might want to write down Leviticus 25. This was a year that would come up uh, where people would be able to, if they sold their land, if they had gotten poor, if they'd lost everything, every 50 years was the year of Jubilee and everybody got their land back. Right? It was like, basically, you just got whooped up on a game of Monopoly. We're going to start a new game and everybody's back to business. Right? All your debts are erased and forgiven and paid in the year of Jubilee. I'm coming to make everybody debt free and proclaim the year of joy, the year of jubilation. That's what Jesus says. Now, you can see why the initial response of the crowd was, this is good news. I like what he's saying here. Wow, this is powerful. Scripture being fulfilled right here in our presence. What an honor to be here. Then we keep reading and we see how there's a radical plot twist here in Luke 4. Verse 22, everybody's saying good things about him, but then he keeps talking in verse 23. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum. 
Do it here. Do it in your own hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, or here's Jesus saying, amen. Right? We sometimes translate it truly, verily, but he's saying, hey, let me tell you something that's true right here in uh, verse 24. I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. What are you talking about here, Jesus, right? Now, if you and I, if we grew up Jews, see, I grew up with my dad reading me this picture Bible, and two of the stories I can clearly remember is Elijah feeding this widow and raising her son when he died, and then Elisha healed this guy, Naaman, who was a leper. I can still picture the, the stories there in this picture book that my dad would read to me. These are two famous miracles that all the Jews would have known about. These were classic synagogue stories. And what is Jesus pointing out about these stories? You see what Jesus is doing? He's like sticking his finger in an open sore right here. He's, he's getting out his finger and he started to poke it in their face and it's getting a little uncomfortable. He's coming kind of for their eyeball and they're kind of backing away. Hey, you know what? When, when Elijah helped that widow, she wasn't a Jewish widow. Yeah, when they, when they healed the leper, Naaman, yeah, he wasn't a Jew. See, God's coming to save everybody is what Jesus is saying. And see, these people, they couldn't identify as the poor prisoners, blind and oppressed, because they thought that they were better than other people. And here's what Jesus is saying is, I'm going for the lowest of the low. And if you're too good, then I can't come for you. And they get what he's saying. They get that he's not acting like they're special because they're his hometown crowd. He's not acting like they're special because they're Jews. He's acting like they actually really need him. And they're nobody without him. Let's see how that message goes over here in verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with, what's the word there? What does it say? Wrath. I thought they were just saying, hey, look at this guy. He turned out all right. What gracious words are dripping from the lips of Jesus. No, now we got wrath, fury, anger. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Can you imagine that? Such a rage. They run out of the synagogue. They push him up the hill, chasing him yelling at him, and they want to go and throw him down the cliff. They're trying to kill him. And then Jesus does this uh, amazing thing where they're all trying to run him off the cliff. And then look at this last line here. This is low-key miracle right here. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. What does that mean? Did he just teleport through the midst of them, right? Did he disappear and reappear? He does that a lot after his resurrection. How do you, is there an angry crowd of people trying to push you off a cliff to kill you and you just pass through? That's Jesus Christ right there. So Jesus came saying, hey, I'm the anointed one and I'm ready to give all of this and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everybody's like, yes, but then he goes to, yeah, and what I'm talking about is anybody. I'm talking about the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. I'm talking about the Gentiles. I'm talking about the Samaritans. I'm talking about anybody. 
And see, here's why these people were offended by Jesus. Here's why they couldn't accept Jesus, because they weren't at the bottom. They thought they were better than. They thought they were doing all right. They didn't really need Jesus, okay? Now, uh, let's get that down for point number two, if you're, if you're taking notes. Point number one, Jesus is the anointed one. That's an easy point to remember. Number one, anointed one. Number two, Jesus is the one you need. That's what we got to see. You don't really know Jesus until you need Jesus. And these people, they were impressed by Jesus, but they didn't need Jesus. They thought they were still somebody, still doing all right. They weren't as bad as those other people. See, one of the things that I've seen growing up in church my whole life is a lot of people, because they're familiar with the Bible, they're familiar with church and Jesus Christ, they do a lot of good things, they're not the worst case scenario. They're not as bad as the person on the Channel 4 News at 11. They're doing all right. And when Jesus started saying, no, I'm talking about all the way down at the bottom, these people were offended by Jesus Christ. And they tried to push him off perhaps this very cliff that we're sitting on right here outside the city of Nazareth. They tried to push him to his death. Now that really got me thinking. That's the question we all need to try to answer. Why would these people be so offended that they would try to push him off a cliff? Okay, why? Now, is they, and, and then I think what we want to say is we would never do that. You would never do that. I would never do that. Like, we wouldn't get so offended by Jesus that we would try to push him off a cliff. Would we? We wouldn't be like those people in Nazareth. They must have been really bad. Guess what you just did right there in your mind? You just put yourself above the people in Nazareth, which is what they did to the people that Jesus was talking about. See? I know a lot of Christians today, they think, well, that's a Jewish thing. They were just racist against the Gentiles. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. And let's see what Jesus says to the church, okay? We've seen what he said to his hometown synagogue. Let's see what he says to the church. If you've got a Bible, you need to go to Revelation 3 right now. And we're going to the letter of Laodicea. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. It's on page 1030 if you got one of our books. And we know in Revelation, Jesus gives seven letters to seven different churches. And five of them, he says, there's things really going wrong that need to change in those churches. And he's regularly calling them to repent. Well, nobody gets a rebuke as bad as the last letter, the church in Laodicea. Okay? And, and this is now different than Jesus talking in the synagogue. This is Jesus talking as the glorified risen Lord to his people who've believed in him. And look what he says to this church and see if it's not very similar to what we just read to the synagogue in Nazareth. Revelation 3, 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen. Isn't that what he said? That he's the amen? Or didn't he start his phrase with amen? Let me tell you the truth. I'm the truth teller. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are, what's the word there, everybody? Because you are what? Lukewarm. See, that's why I never wanted to travel to Israel. Because they got lukewarm beverages here, right? It's hard to find good refrigeration, ice. Are you experiencing that? You get that lukewarm drink, right? Blah, you just want to, here, here's what Jesus says right here. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a polite way to translate it. He's going to throw them up. He's going to vomit them out of his mouth. Now, 
Pay attention to what he says next. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need what? Nothing, because I'm doing all right by me. But look what Jesus says about that. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So today, we might not be in the synagogue so angry at Jesus that we want to push him off a cliff. You know what the church is today because they're so convinced they don't need Jesus? Lukewarm. You ever met anybody who's lukewarm before? Maybe you met that person waking up in the mirror this morning. Somebody who's half in, half out for Jesus Christ. You know how he describes those people? They don't think they need him. They think they're doing all right. They think they know the Bible. They go to church. They're good folk, good salt-of-the-earth kind of people. He says, yeah, those kind of people, they're the ones I want to vomit out of my mouth. That's what Jesus says. They can't see that they're the poor prisoner, blind and oppressed. They can't see how much they need me. The anointed one knows you need him. The question of the day here in Nazareth is, do you know how much you really need Jesus Christ? Because some of you don't think you need him that much. Some of you, Jesus is a want to you. Jesus is a benefit to you. Jesus is, maybe I need him for eternal life, like after I die. But Jesus is saying, no, you're poor. You're bankrupt in your soul. No, you're, you're naked. You've got nothing to cover up your sin and your shame. You know, he, he, he goes on here. He says things like wretched, pitiable, blind. You can't even see yourself for who you really are. So look at Jesus going right into it. Verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Here's Jesus coming in saying, hey, you know what? All the things that you don't have that you need, I'm the one who can give them to you. See, this is a big problem that we have today is we are not convinced of our need for Jesus Christ because we are poor. This is the Mount of Beatitudes. This is the place where Jesus preached his famous sermon in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And when Jesus saw the crowds down by the Sea of Galilee, he came up on the mountain. And this place is a natural amphitheater where Jesus could come up and sit down because that's the place of authority where he does his teaching. And he sits down and the, his voice carries as the crowds gather around and listen to him all the way from the top of the mountain down to the Sea of Galilee below. And when Jesus has all the crowd gathering around to wait for what he's gonna say next, how does he begin his sermon? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wanted to preach to those who knew in their soul that they were poor. See, the reason there are so many lukewarm Christians all over America, the reason there's so many Jews all over Israel that reject Jesus to this day is they don't think they need him because they don't think they're poor. Are you poor? Because if you're not poor, you're not going to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Hey, you tell John the Baptist, I came for the lame. I came for the blind. I came for the poor. And that was a cue that I'm the anointed one. And I'm coming for the one who knows that they need me. And we got too many people at our church and all the churches around us that want Jesus, but they don't need Jesus. No, if you don't need Jesus, you will end up rejecting Jesus. Or worse, Jesus will end up rejecting you. Look what he goes on to say to this church. It's devastating what he says to this church here. In verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent, he says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Okay, so Jesus is saying, the reason I'm coming after you guys like this, he just called them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and oppressed. That's what he's saying to church people. That's what he said to his hometown crowd. When you're the anointed one, you don't have to mince around and, and make people feel good. You just tell the truth how it really is. And he just said that, and he said, the reason I'm telling you this is I love you. I'm reproving you. I'm disciplining you. I want you to hear what I'm saying so you will repent. You need to change your mind about yourself. This is what we really need to think about the rejection of Jesus. Not if we're going to accept Jesus, but is Jesus going to accept us? I'm here in Chorazin. This is one of the three cities where Jesus did most of his mighty works and his teachings, where he and his disciples spent a lot of time. And as you look around this city, it is a pile of rocks in utter ruin. 2,000 years later and Jesus specifically denounced this city and he said woe to you Chorazin because they did not repent in Matthew 11:20, it's explicit that Jesus will reject you if you do not repent and he warns them that it's going to be terrible for them on the day of judgment because they saw the miracles they heard the teachings but they did not change their mind and admit their need for jesus christ and so when jesus says whoa you never come back from that that's the rejection of jesus you're not a good person you can't do it on your own you need to see yourself for who you really are. Then you're going to really know me, he says. Then I'm going to come and knock at the door. Now, a lot of people use Revelation 3.20. Like Jesus is coming and he's knocking the door of your personal heart. And if you just open the door of your heart, Jesus is there saying, let my love open the door. That's what he's saying. He's just singing a song to your heart. Now, in the context here of Revelation 3, is he talking about opening the door of your personal heart? He's saying, you guys are in there doing lukewarm church because you don't really need me. And I'm out here in the parking lot wondering if you guys really want me or not. Uh, he's knocking on the door of the church. Okay. So let's not make, Jesus doesn't need any of us. We need him. There's no other way for us. He doesn't need any one of us. 
And if you don't repent, you will be rejected by Jesus. Okay, let's get that down for point number three. Jesus will reject you if you don't repent. If you don't come to him like you're poor, begging, if you don't come to him like you can't see, asking him to open your eyes, if you don't come to him like you're naked and exposed and ashamed of your sins and ask him to forgive you and pay all of your debts and proclaim the Lord's favor over you, there's only one way that you can come to Jesus and you must repent. You must change your mind about yourself and about him and turn from living for yourself to Jesus Christ like you're desperate, like there's no other way that you will be able to live. And if you don't repent, Jesus wants to let you know right now, he's outside and he's gonna come and knocking. And if you're not ready for him, it's gonna be your problem. That, that, that's the kind of Jesus as he talks here. Blessed is everyone who's not offended by me, he says to John the Baptist, because there's a strong possibility that he's gonna offend you. When he says, you're the poor person, you're the blind person, you're the naked person. And if you don't repent, you're also gonna, you're gonna perish just that way, unless you come to me and ask me to save you. So that you, all of us have to have this change of mind where we go from the good guy to the bad guy and Jesus goes from some figure to our hero, our savior, the one that we need, okay? And so many people have rejected Jesus. Go to Matthew 22, and look what it says here in Matthew 22. Jesus tells a story about people rejecting him. We've seen it happen in his hometown. We've seen it happen in the church. All you got to do to reject Jesus is think you don't need him. Well, you got to be careful because if you don't need Jesus, he's actually the one who's going to end up rejecting you if you don't repent. And so then in Matthew 22, he tells the parable of a wedding feast. So instead of thinking about Jesus knocking on the door of somebody's heart, let's now listen to a couple of stories where Jesus actually talks about dining with people, having a meal with people, or coming and knocking on a door with people. Okay? And it's not some warm, fuzzy, ask Jesus into your heart. No, you beg Jesus to save your soul. You repent. You, ch you think differently about your heart. You need a new heart from Jesus. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? You need the spirit that's on Jesus to be the spirit that's on you. You have nothing in your heart that Jesus would want to come in for. That's not the right way to be thinking about it, okay? So look, Jesus talks about, hey, let's have a wedding feast, okay? I want to have a meal with everybody. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Okay, that's exactly what the kingdom of heaven is. The father having a, a marriage feast for his son, Jesus Christ, and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. That's supposed to sound like a great meal. Everybody should come, but they paid no attention. They went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Who's he talking about here? Who, who, who rejected all of the prophets of God throughout the Old Testament? He's talking about the Jewish people. How many times in the Old Testament is God saying, hey, come, let's feast. Hey, me and you, let's reason together. Hey, I'll take all of your sin. It's like a stain and I'll wash it as white as snow. Hey, me and you, let's come and be together. And they're like, no, we got other things to do down here on planet Earth, God. We got farms. We got business. 
We're too busy. You got this nice feast for us? We don't need your feast. We're doing just fine. And now they're going against his prophets. The king was angry. Verse 7, I would imagine so. He sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. You don't want to come to the wedding feast? Don't worry about it. You won't be there. See, we, we, the people today talked like, oh, maybe we should accept Jesus. Maybe we should receive Jesus. Here's the real question we should be asking. Is Jesus going to accept you? Is Jesus going to receive you? It's not the other way around. Jesus gets to decide who lives or dies. He decides who goes to heaven or hell. It's not about us getting to decide what we're going to do with Jesus. Jesus is going to decide what he's going to do with us. He says, yeah, the people we originally invited were not worthy, he says. Now, but watch, the offer is still going to go out. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Go tell everybody about the feast. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Okay, so now anybody's invited. Everybody can come. Oh, you think you're a good person? You think you're a bad person? Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs this feast. Now, warning, watch what happens here. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man there who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The guy thought, hey, I thought this was just a free food giveaway. They seem desperate for people to get in here. What do you mean I got to have a wedding garment? Look what happens to this guy who shows up at the feast, not in the robes of righteousness, not ready, not, not having repented, we could say. Look what happens to this guy. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Is anybody starting to get the impression that maybe Jesus doesn't really need us and isn't really desperate for our attention? Maybe it's the other way around here. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm offering a feast to anybody who wants to come and feast with me, but many people don't even want to come. And then somebody who does, they dare to show up the same way that they've been without putting this wedding garment on, and that person, they're getting cast into outer darkness. See, one, you don't come to Jesus unless you realize you need him. Two, you can't come to Jesus unless you repent, unless you turn from your sin and you receive the righteous robes that Jesus wants to clothe your nakedness with. Unless you see the glory of the gospel that Jesus wants to open your blind eyes to see. Unless you admit that you bring nothing to Jesus and you're poor in your soul. You won't make it to the wedding feast. So the hometown crowd of Jesus, the church today, we're all misunderstanding who Jesus is. He doesn't need us. We need him. It's the other way around. And he says, blessed are you if you're not offended by me. So I don't know what your response is. If it's anger, if it's lukewarmness, or if you're realizing in your soul right now, maybe being reminded, or maybe you're realizing for the first time right now, wow, I really do need Jesus Christ. There is no other way for my soul to be saved. I can't do it. I don't have it in me. Now go to Luke 12. Look what Jesus says in Luke 12. Because here's another story where he's coming and knocking on a door. This is Luke 12, 
35. If you can turn there with me, everybody. Luke 12, 35. And Jesus here talks about being ready. Okay, so remember, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Okay, if anyone hears my voice, let him open the door for me. And we've just made that, well, that's Jesus knocking on the door to my heart, so I should, I should open up my heart. Look at what he says here. Maybe this is the kind of door he's talking about. Luke 12, 35. He says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. I love that. Stay dre- How are you dressing up today? For action. That's great, right? Keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, amen, I say to you, he, the master, will dress himself for servants service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. Okay, now, if we're getting in the culture of the New Testament, were there masters coming and serving the servants? Is that how it worked? Was there a master who came home at the end of the day and said, wow, I'm so glad you guys are ready for me. Why don't you guys recline at the table for a minute and I'll go get something ready for you? That's what Jesus says he's going to do for his servants. The master who will actually serve his servants. The the master who actually paid all of our debts when he died for us on the cross. But in the context here, Jesus is talking about the future when he's going to return. And he's looking for who's going to be ready. And it's like when he knocks on the door, are you going to be waiting for him? Are you going to be waiting for him? Who's going to really need him when he comes back the next time? Because they didn't need him when he came the first time. They didn't need him in his hometown. They didn't need him at the Sea of Galilee. They didn't need him in Jerusalem. They still don't need him here today in all those places. The whole world's full of people who didn't need Jesus when he came the first time, even though he bore their sins on the cross and paid the debts they couldn't repay, even though he's the only one that can do anything about their poverty of spirit, their blindness in their soul, and their nakedness in their sin. People acting like they don't need him. He says, well, hey, guess what? I'm coming back. And I'm going to come and I'm going to knock on the door. Are you going to be ready when he knocks on the door? Are you going to be somebody who's living like you need him? Like you're waiting for him to come? That's what he says. That's that's what he's talking about. Who's going to be ready for me at the end? I'm coming back. And then everybody's going to see who I really am. And for many, it's going to be too late. Are you going to be ready when he comes back? See, when Jesus read that scripture there in the synagogue in Nazareth, he said today... This scripture has been fulfilled. And then he said an important part at the end. In your hearing. In your hearing. Like you get to hear it. At the end of the letters to Revelation. When it talks about the lukewarm church. And how Jesus is going to spit them out of his mouth. Because they don't need him. And they need to repent. Because he's coming back. They need to get ready. It says. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. When Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to knock on the door. And if you hear my voice, I will open the door and come in and be with you. See, are you listening to Jesus like your life depends on it? Like you better hear what he says. These people, they heard it, but they did not hear it. 
See? They didn't identify with it. They didn't let it define who they are. They didn't stand up and say, you're right, Jesus. I am poor. I am a prisoner. I am blind. And I am oppressed. Sin runs my life. I am a slave of sin. And if you don't set me free, if you don't open my eyes, if you don't come and give me something, a new heart, a spirit on the inside, I'm empty and I got nothing. See, they didn't really hear what Jesus is saying. Point number four, you got to listen to Jesus like your life depends on it. You got to listen to Jesus like your life depends on it. Jesus has defined you. He's told you who you are. It's the exact opposite of the self-esteem that America is trying to tell you you have. Jesus, the anointed one, prophesied long ago, has come and he told his hometown and he told the church in Laodicea and through the page, he told John the Baptist, through the pages of scripture, he's telling anybody who will listen to him, I'll tell you who you are. You're poor, you're blind, you're naked, and you need me. Are you gonna hear what Jesus is saying with your life? Are you one of the people who listens to Jesus? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of Jesus Christ. So I wanna talk to you if you know your need, if you know that you need to repent, if you're feeling the weight of your sin, I wanna invite you here to this place because now we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is the place that Jesus came on the night before he died. And he prayed to the Father and he felt sorrowful and troubled and he felt this huge weight upon himself. And he cried out to the Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, as you will. See, the Garden of Gethsemane is full of olive trees. And we know what happens with olives. They get pressed, they get squeezed down into olive oil. And so there's these amazing, ancient, old olive trees all around. As Jesus is here with his face to the ground, getting pressed and squeezed as he feels the weight of sin that he's going to have to bear and pay for on the cross. And I've got good news for you. If you're feeling the need in your soul, if you're feeling the weight of your sin, you need to come with me to the Garden of Gethsemane because that's what Jesus felt when he was here. He felt the weight of your sin. He felt the wrath of God that you deserve to pay because of what you've done. Jesus felt that judgment on himself. So you don't have to be poor in spirit because Jesus has paid your debt. You don't have to be a prisoner because Jesus wants to set you free. You don't have to be blind. You can have your eyes open to the glory that God would love you so much. He would send his son and his son Jesus here in this place would take your sin upon himself so that he would pay your judgment and that you could get his life. See, Jesus said, I came to bring good news to the poor, to the prisoner, to the blind, to the oppressed. So you don't have to be oppressed by the weight of your sin because Jesus was pressed by the weight of your sin right here in this garden. And so today's the first day that you're realizing how much you need Jesus. And you're realizing that you've never repented of your sin. You should cry out to Jesus Christ because he's taken the weight of that sin. And he's paid it in full. 
and he wants to proclaim to you the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, that you could experience a summer of joy where all of your sin has been paid for by Jesus. And you now have his life. And brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I hope that this talk about our need for our Lord and the, the importance of repentance in our lives, I hope it's reminded you of where you would be without Jesus Christ, and that is paying for your own sin. Still lost, still going the wrong way, but by the grace of God, He's turned you around. He's changed your mind. Now you know the power of salvation in Jesus Christ. It's a great day as you come to Israel, when I, when I get to come here. It's a great time for me to remember what my life is all about, that my life lived, died, and resurrected with Jesus Christ right here in this place. And so I remember Jesus Christ and what He has done for me. Let me pray for us together. Father in heaven, Thank you for bringing me back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Thanks for bringing everybody here with us in this video. Thanks for reminding us of our need, our need to repent of our sin, our need to get out of this burden of weight, of the nakedness, of shame, of the blindness. And we thank you so much that Jesus Christ, He came and took all of our sin upon Himself, and He endured your judgment so that we will never have to. So God, we're here right now and we worship Jesus. And we're so thankful that he came here to this place. And the reason that he came and died was because of us. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name, amen. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today, this scripture has been heard by you.